Well, this morning, we are going to be bringing a conclusion to our series on when life gets messy. And today, we're going to talk about the topic of when we need to come clean. When we need to come clean before the Lord. And I want to bring you to one of the favorite Psalms that a lot of people uh, read, and that's Psalms 51. So if you have your Bibles, would you go with me to Psalms 51? I want to read that entire Psalm for you, and then I want to unpack that for you and allow the Holy Spirit to come and minister to us this morning. Psalms 51. Ready? Here we go. The psalmist said, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, block out my transgression. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Now, this is a psalm that is written by King David, right? Um, after he committed adultery. We all know that story with Bathsheba. And then he go on to say this, For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired a faithfulness even in the womb, and you taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me from high soap, and I will be with high soap, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I'll be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness, and let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and block out all my iniquity. Create in me a clean heart, a pure heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then what will happen? Then he said, I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, you who are God, my Saviour, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, for I would have brought it, I would, I would bring it, but you do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. You God will not despise. May it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you'll be, you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous, in burnt offerings offered whole. Then booze will be offered on your altar. Lord, I thank you for the authenticity of King David. And as he penned these verses, recording his confession before you, of the sins that he has done in his life, and yet turning to you as the one who forgives, the one who restores. God, may you come and speak to all of us, because all of us can be a King David deep inside. And so we invite you, come and minister your word to us. Turn our eyes to see the ugliness of our sin, but at the same time, the beauty of your gospel so that it is through your gospel that we will find that freedom of forgiveness and that freedom, the liberty of walking guiltless. And we give you all the glory for this in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. You know, when you read Psalms 51, we need to realize that there are 
three persons actually that are very responsible for this psalm. If any of these people were not present, then this psalm may never have been written. Who are they? Firstly, of course, the first character will be David the king. King David himself. David was the best king that Israel ever had. He was described as the man after God's own heart. And we all know that's um, the accolade given to him. In fact, David was so revered that whenever the Israelites up to today pray for a king, they would ask for one just like David. But the Bible also did not hide the fact that at the height of his, ruin, of his reign, King David actually fell into sin. Right? And we are all familiar with the story of how it was during springtime. And there was a time when armies of Israel would go to war. And the armies of Israel were at war because it was springtime. But King David decided to sleep in that day. He didn't join the army, but he woke up at 12 noon. Now, this is a little bit of holy imagination. Okay? He woke up at 12 noon. He stepped out on this balcony. He stretched himself and his eyes fell upon a UNO an unidentified naked object that was having a bath. And his heart, when he saw that, his heart went out to this lady and his name was Bathsheba. And then what David did was, he used his, his heart went out to her, so he used his kingly authority to actually grab her for himself. And then he manipulated the circumstances and ended up murdering Bathsheba's husband Uriah in order to hide his wrongdoing and to make the whole thing legitimate. Now, humanly speaking, it was not such a big deal because almost every ancient king has done that. But in the eyes of God, the whole thing was wrong. Now, you think about it. David committed adultery with Bathsheba. Then on top of that, he committed murder to hide the adultery. Then he coveted his neighbor's wife. He bore false witness against Uriah. And on top of all that, he dishonoured his father and mother in the process. Now, did you realise that in that one last full moment, King David actually broke 50% of the Ten Commandments. He literally broke 50% of the Ten Commandments. And his sin were exposed because of the second character in this psalm. Who is that? Nathan the prophet. God sent this preacher in Israel, this prophet in Israel, God sent him into the king's palace in 2 Samuel chapter 12. And you can read the story there, 2 Samuel chapter 12. And then he told the king, and when, when Nathan got before the king, Nathan told this uh, King David a long story about how a rich man stole a poor man's lamb. When actually the rich man has got plenty of, of, of cattle and sheep and all that of his own. Now, when David heard that story that was told to him, David got very angry with this rich man. Okay? He got angry with this rich man, and rightly so. And then when David expressed his anger, that was when Nathan turned to David and pointed a prophetic finger at him and said, King, you are that man. And in that instant, it's almost like scales fell off from David's eyes. That he suddenly saw, you know, and I think David has such a stronghold in his life. You know the difference between a sin and a stronghold, right? Sin is when somebody did something wrong and they are fully aware of it. And they, they don't want it, they want to get rid of it, they want to break out of it. A stronghold is different. A stronghold is when someone sinned and don't even realise that they've done something wrong. And they're happy to carry on with it. 
like Cindy Jacobs says, you know, he defines stronghold as this, is when we begin to accept as unchangeable something which is countery to the will of God. That thing is actually, we know it's, it's countery to God's will, but we have accepted it as unchangeable. We can't change it. Therefore, I just continue in it. That's a stronghold. And David was in such a stronghold, he didn't even realise that what he was doing was an abomination in the eyes of God. He didn't realise that. But in that moment of encounter, when the prophetic fingers pointed at him and said, you are that man, it was almost like in that moment, the strongholds came down. And David realised that although no one else may know, God has seen it all. Everyone else may think it's okay, but God has judged it as wrong. And that's when, at a moment of conviction, his eyes was open to see himself as God sees him, a sinner. Not the king of Israel, but a, a sinner. And it was at that point that David confessed. But the question is this, huh? so he wrote Psalm 51 as a confession of what he did. But the question is this, does he need to do it so publicly? I mean, we all, can sin and then we, we can confess before the Lord but David what he did was he wrote it into a song and let the whole nation sing it you, you get my point it's, a, it's like does he need to do it so publicly why like that and that brings us to the third character in this and he's Asaph the worship director of Israel now you may ask what has Asaph got to do with this whole thing I think it's because Asaph wrote another song. It was Psalms 50. Let me read for you Psalms 50, verse 16 to 23. Because Psalms 50 is a song written by the worship director of Israel. And he wrote about how the people of God will bring their sacrifices to the temple, but their lives are not in order. You understand what I'm saying? It's like coming to church week after week, coming to church and worship every week, but in our hearts, we are walking in bondage. In our hearts, we are walking in sin. There are things in our life that is messed up, but we never deal with it. We just keep showing up and we keep worshipping. We keep doing business as usual. And the people of Israel was like that. Every week they come, bearing all the sacrifices, but their hearts were not righteous. And the psalmist of Israel, Asaph, wrote a psalm in Psalm 50 that addresses this. It talks about this. And then in Psalms 50, verse 16 to 23, listen to this. But to the wicked people, Asaph wrote this song, right? It says, but to the wicked people, God says, what right have you to recite my laws or take my covenant on your lips? You hate my instruction. You cast my words behind you. When you see a thief, you join with him. You throw in your lot with adulterers. You use your mouth for evil, harness your tongue to deceit. You sit and you testify against your brothers and, and slander your own mother's son. When you did these things and I kept silence, you thought I was exactly like you. In other words, God approves of it. Okay, that, but I now arraign you and set my accusations before you. Consider this, you who forget God or I will tear you to pieces with no one to rescue you. Those who sacrifice thank offerings honour me and to the blameless then I show my salvation. How many of you knew there was a connection right between Psalms 50 and Psalms 51? In fact, Psalms 51 could be a direct response to Psalms 50. So picture this, huh? the prophet showed up before the king and confronted him, caused him to realise, actually I've done this. And then when the psalmist wrote Psalms 51 and uh, Psalms 50 and they were all singing that, the whole thing like was a 
was a double whammy. And, and can you imagine this? this uh, as David joined in the worship and the sacrifices to the people of God, he must have felt the conviction of the Lord. And he knew then that God is not just speaking to him to the prophet, but God is also speaking to him to the music director, through Asaph. And as he sing that, you know, and, and as, a, as the convictions are all there, he realised that he was really broken before the Lord. And as an act of repentance, as a return to the Lord, David wrote his confession into a song, Psalms 51. He came clean before God, and because he was a public person, he was publicly acknowledged, okay? And can you see the connection there? And with this as a backdrop, okay? Now picture this, huh? So with this as a backdrop now, we try and understand what is David's heart as he wrote these words. So let's unpack Psalm 51 in the light of all this. And let me show you this one of the most powerful Psalms that David has written, Psalm 51. And if I can simply put it, Psalm 51 can be divided into two parts. The first 12 verses, Psalm 51, verse 1 to 12, talks about his confession. But the next, last few verses, from verse 13 to 19, talk about the consequences of that confession. So let me uh, um, look at it one at a time. The first is this. From verse 1 to 12, it records his confession. In verse 1, he begins like this. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. He noticed the two things that David appealed to in his confession. Firstly, it was God's love. The second was God's mercy. Aren't you glad, brothers and sisters, that God is not just righteous and fair, but He's also loving and merciful. Isn't that right? And this is the God we have. It's not just righteous as a judge, but he is also merciful and loving as our saviour. And he will only, but he will only give his mercy to those who ask for it. And we will not ask until we are broken inside. And we will agree. Nobody ever asks for mercy until they realise that they are helpless, until they realise they are fully broken. And David reached that point of brokenness. He realised that he cannot help himself. And he came before the Lord and he appealed to God's mercy, God's love, and he says, forgive me. And then you notice the three things that David appealed for. Number one, he said, block out my transgression. Number two, he says, wash me of all my iniquities. And the third thing he said was, cleanse me from my sin. Wow, they are not just repetitions. They're not just three ways of saying the same thing. I think they are individual appeals. Why do I say that? It's because David understood the true nature of sin. And we need to understand the true nature of sin, of how deep sin is, how ugly it is, and how horrifying actually sin is. And David understood that, that sin has three aspects, transgression, iniquity, and sin. And we're going to look at them one at a time. And so that we get... a we understand, you know, the consequence of our sin, that every time we sin, every time we do something and keep on doing it and continue in that, something deep happens inside of us. Number one is transgression. In other words, transgression means it's an illegal deed. The first appeal of David was, block out my transgression. The word block uh, is related to erasing something which is written. 
That means something is recorded, it needs to be removed. That's what it means to block out my transgression. You see, during ancient times, people write on papyrus. That means it's like um, tree bark and paper. Okay, and they write it with ink. And when there's a need to erase that writing, right? today, thankfully, we are digital. We can just click the back button and everything is gone. Okay, those days, no. They write it, that's it, it's there. So it's, it's left there. So what do you need to do if you want to remove it? You will need to take a knife and you carefully scraped off the ink until that is removed. So each time we sin, what happens is it is written in the records. So in the minds of the, of the Israelites, it's like that. Every time I sin, it is written in the records. And David is asking God, scrap off the writing from the book. Scrap off my sin from the book. In other words, he wants God to straighten out the records and put him right again. It's almost like expunging your record. It's like you committed a crime, it's there. It's recorded. It's almost saying, please remove that. Set the record straight again. And that's what David is asking for. Now, before we can ask God to block out our transgression, we must first be brought to a point where we realise that we have transgressed against God. See, that's why David says, for I know my transgression and my sin is always before me. And he said, against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. In other words, what he's saying is, God, you saw it all. My sin is ever before me and it's against you and you only have I sinned. See, until we are brought to a place where we realise that even though nobody else knows, God saw it. And you cannot run away from, from it. That's when we'll be willing to say, God, block out my transgression. And until we re- recognise that we, what we have done is against God and God alone, we will not truly repent. Now, I know there are many who change only because they are caught. Many people stop doing the wrong thing only because they are caught, but not because they recognize how ugly our sin is. Are you with me? It's different, you know. Because I'm afraid of the consequences, so I stop. That's one thing. But when you realize how ugly it is and against God and God alone have I sinned, that's when we are truly repentant. And if it is not a God-centered repentance, it may not last. That means if I know I can get away with it, I could be back at it again. But it is centered in you and you alone have I sinned. And when we come to realize how ugly we are, that's when we stop justifying ourselves before God. And instead, now we justify God and we verify that God's judgment is correct. And David is, must be thinking about Psalms 50, right? How God is right in His judgment with regards to the ways of His people. That they brought sacrifices, but their hearts are not with me. And the king himself was guilty of those charges. So now he cried out, God, block out my transgression. Scrap off this record from my books. Are you with me on this? That's what it is. Here's the second thing. He then is the word iniquity. Iniquity is an identifying mark 
You know, once you have iniquity, it's like a, there's a mark on you. The second appeal he has is, washed away all my iniquities. It's almost like every time we sin, there is a mark that is left behind. And that mark needs to be washed away. It's like a stain. You get defiled already. It needs to be washed away. And, and some years back, right, I, I read that in Europe, you know, and only for a short while, they were trying to prevent a lot of theft of bags especially. Must be those Gucci and those kind of bags. Uh, those those uh, very uh, expensive bags. And so people would steal the bag. And then they found a way in which they can put a lock on the bag. You know? So if you don't have the code, you cannot quite open. And then if you try and pry open, when you open, an uh, alarm will go off. And then not only that, uh, there'll be, there's some device that actually squirt purple ink. You know? And once you get the ink, right, you cannot wash it off. And then wherever you go, they can see it and, and you, 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 you have a mark left on you. They tell you you are the thief. Are you getting this? And, oh, I thought it was a well, brilliant idea, you know, because it leaves an indelible, a, a, a kind of a identifying mark on you that you are, you are the, the one who did it. But of course, I, I think it, didn't, it, it couldn't really take off. Like, but who wants that kind of thing on their backs? Right? So it doesn't, doesn't really uh, quite work. But my point is this, huh? our sin... Also does that, it leaves an identifying mark on us that cannot be washed away except by the blood of the Lamb. Only the blood of Jesus can take away all the defilement and the stain that sins leave behind. And King David knew that and he cried out for God's mercy, wash him clean. But of course, in his context, it was the blood of animals. See, and he was, wash me clean. So here's the point. Listen carefully. Sin is not just what we do on the outside. It is who we become on the inside. As we continue to violate God, it leaves something inside of us. It leaves a mark. It leaves a stain. It's not just what I do on the outside. It's who I'm becoming on the inside as I continue to walk in my strongholds and my sin. And David recognized that his sin has left an identifying mark on him and he needs to be washed. And so he cried out to God in verse 5 and 6, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb and you taught me wisdom in that secret place. David is declaring actually that he is not a good man who happened to do evil, but he was actually an evil man who is just doing evil. So what he's saying is this, you know, it's not, it's, 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 it's what he's saying is that man is not born essentially good. Man is born essentially bad. Are you with me? Sometimes people think that every man is born good. <laughs> no, actually we are all good people. It's just the environment that makes us what we are. No, the Bible actually revealed that we are all born with a sin nature. We were not born essentially good. We were born essentially bad. And for that reason, I would say that we sin because we are sinners. It's not that we become sinners because we sin. Are you with me? We were born with a sin nature. And that is why nobody needs to be taught how to sin. They just need to be taught how not to. Every child is born selfish. No one ever is born good. And what's wrong, it's not just external circumstances. It's our inner nature. And it's a nature that needs to be dealt with. And we are so bad that God needs to get deep inside of us and actually wash us from the inside out 
So you look at verse 6 to 9, right? Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with high soap and I will be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones of Christ rejoice. Hide your face from my sin. Blocked out all my iniquity. So David knew that what he needed is not just a scrapping off of his the sin from the record, he also need a washing on the inside so that that mark can, the stain can be removed. And the last thing was he said, cleanse me of my sin. Sin, right? And that is to do with inner change. The third appeal David has to do is with inner transformation. And here, he used the imagery of leprosy. He began to liken sin to leprosy. You know how uh, leprosy is like, right? Um, Leprosy is a terrible disease. And, and what happened is this. He go on to say that I don't just need a blogging off, a scrapping off of my record. I don't just need a washing so that the mark can be removed. I also need a recreation. I need a renewal on the inside. So what he's saying is this. Lord, I don't just need a new start to life. I need a new life to start with. We don't just need a new start to life. It's not about coming to Christ. It's not about turning over a new leaf. You understand? Turning over a new leaf is like almost, okay, I've done, uh, I've not been good, but now I'm, I'm going to try to be good. That's, that's not the, you will, you will not make it. Okay? But it's not about give me a new start in my life, but give me a new life to start with. And that's what Jesus came to do. John 10, 10, right? It says the thief comes to steal, to kill and to destroy. But Jesus came to give us life and life more abundantly. I need a new life. You need a new life to start with. And then he's, that's why he go on to say in verse 10 and, and 12, listen to what he say here. Create in me a pure heart, oh God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Don't cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me, but restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. You know, in leprosy, once the flesh is rotten, it cannot be restored. It needs to be recreated. It needs to be recreated. New cells has got to come. It's not about the old cell becoming better. It's new cells that need to come. And, and David cried out to the Lord, create in me a new heart, renew a right spirit within me. And he know he cannot do it on his own. So he's crying out to God not to leave him. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me because it's only the Holy Spirit that can do that. Give us recreation and renew us from the inside out. He's saying, my, my sin have made me miserable and I need to have a new, a fresh infusion of the joy of the Lord. And that's the only way we can be sustained. So in short, David is crying out, Lord, I need you. Do you know in these 12 short verses, David has made a total of 16 requests to God. He's crying out to God. He's really dependent on the Lord. He makes 16 requests. And all of them revolves around asking God to give him a clean heart, that God will restore to him a heart that is pure. And only then can we see God. His confession was so complete, isn't it? 12 short verses, 16 requests, total dependence. And then from verse 13 to 19, he began to tell us the consequences. 
And if all this can happen, if, if there can be a restoration, if there can be a blocking out of, of my record and all of that, then what will happen? In verse 13, then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. You notice that little word, then. Then means what? Turning point which tells us that King David is now moving to the consequence of his heartfelt confession. The end result, brothers and sisters, of repentance is not just restoration or revival, but is sinners will turn back to the Lord. Because you know why? He, this can happen in two dimensions. Why? Number one, it says, privately, if, we, if these things really happen, if we really turn to God in brokenness, in total repentance, then you know what? Privately, we can now be a testimony. How many of you know when God forgives and He restores, you know, and all that, then what happened to us? We now can be a testimony to other people. Once we are broken and contrite, we become winsome witnesses for Christ. When, we, when you walk with hidden darkness, we want to keep quiet, we want to stay in obscurity. But once we are cleared, cleansed, forgiven, we want to tell the whole world, I am forgiven. And we can become powerful testimonies that can be... And, and this testimony, when it comes, it can be broadcasted. I like the way the son, uh, David puts it. It can be broadcasted in two ways. One, we will teach others. That's verse 13. I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will turn back to you. The second is, I will sing about it. And you look at verse 14 and 15. My tongue will then sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. So there are how many, two ways we can broadcast you know, the, the goodness of God. One is we tell others about it. Second, we sing about it. And that's what we're doing Sunday after Sunday. Do you realize that? Hello? <laughs> Do you realize that's what we're doing? Sunday after Sunday when we come and we declare the songs and worship and all that, what are we doing? We're actually declaring, this is what God has done. This is what the gospel is all about. And as we uncover our areas of darkness, we are now able to bring acceptable sacrifices to God. And then God responds to our inner brokenness. And I think this could well be the key, you know, to exuberant, abandoned worship. Sometimes I think, how come, uh, and don't mind, I just say honestly, sometimes I come and I don't quite understand how we could sing a song, you know, that is so awesome about how great our God is and then we can just stand there like that, watch, you know, and sing like, like there is no emotion at all. That I cannot understand. I cannot sing those songs without lifting my heart to God and really reaching out for Him, honestly. Okay, I know it's, some, it's just cultural sometimes, but you can be exuberant and be empty inside. Totally agree. But you cannot be so full inside and not be exuberant. Are you okay with that? That's what I think. How can it be? If I'm so excited about a person that I'm singing to or the person I'm thinking about, it will show. It cannot be both feeling, Emma. It cannot be no feeling, right? Cannot be. If I really love my wife, I cannot be expressionless to her. What? No matter how stoic I am, there will still be that smile that, you know? Somehow it has to come forth. It cannot be, I can't feel, I, I, I just have no expression, but I feel a lot of things inside. Okay, uh, maybe it's good, it's true for you, but I find it difficult. 
I think it's, there's an abandonment, there's an exuberance. It's because we feel it inside and we overflow with it. And, and David says, you know, when all this happened, when I can be cleaned up, forgiven, restored, renewed, I will teach others your ways and I will declare your praise. You cannot help it. And it is through confession, repentance, that we find that freedom of forgiveness and the liberating power of worship. And you look at verse 16 and 17, you do not delight in sacrifices, or I will bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O Lord, a broken spirit, a contrite heart, you will not despise. So if week to week we come with this broken spirit, contrite heart, and then we just worship the Lord, I think the Lord will draw near. Privately, we will become testimonies. Corporately, we can consecrate a nation. Corporately, we can consecrate a nation. King David ends off with these seemingly disconnected verses at the end, but they are very significant within the context. If you look at verse 18 and 19, may it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous, in burnt offerings offered whole. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. David what is he saying? He said, if everyone comes with this broken, contrite heart, if everyone comes clean before God in worship and all that, I think God will invade the sacrifices of His people. And He'll come and sit on it. And He will rule and reign as a result. And the whole nation can be impacted. And David knows that no one actually sins privately. As the king of Jerusalem, even more so. He knows that his wrongdoing have adverse effects upon the city, the nation, the people that he's leading. So he began to pray for his people and bless his nation. And when his heart is right with God, then his sacrifices become acceptable in the sight of God. And King David is responding to Asaph, right? The, the music director. And he says, you know, Asaph, you are right. I'm guilty. And now... I want to put it right. And this psalm is now my testimony in song. May the future generation sing it and learn from what I went through. And we are learning from him today. And brothers and sisters, we do not sin alone. What we do actually affects our family, affects our church, it affects our city and our nation. And the corporate effects of sin can and must be neutralized in Jesus' name. We have to stop it. And then righteousness will exalt our nation. Righteousness will exalt the city. Amen. Now the question is this, before I close, you know, is how can we come clean before God? How do we come clean before God? What would actually give us that freedom to do so? I think the gospel is what gives us a safe environment to come clean. So listen carefully to me, to me huh? don't miss this. The gospel what Jesus did for us on the cross is what gives us a safe environment to come clean before Him. Because without the power of the gospel, I will not dare to take an inward journey into my own soul. I won't dare. Because what I may find inside can be too ugly to behold. But because of the gospel, I know I have been made beautiful in Christ. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, he once and for all did the three things that David 
cry out to the Lord for in the Old Testament. On that cross, when Jesus died and he shed his blood, he blocked out all my transgression. He literally erased, he chopped, he stamped over all my IOUs and I owe God so much. He stamped over it, paid in full. And my records are set straight. Anything I've done in the past, it's gone, it's wiped away, it's blocked out my transgression. I think he washed away my iniquity on that cross. When the blood was shed, that which only can remove that stain and the defilement, Jesus did it. And I am free from my iniquity. And he recreated me from the inside out. He has, I've got a new spirit that dwells in me now. And I am free. He took away the heart of stone and he gave me a heart of flesh. And I know from that point on, I don't have to earn my acceptance or strive to be loved. I'm free. And so are you. That's why I love the gospel. The gospel tells me I'm more sinful, more flawed than I ever dared to believe, but yet I am more accepted and more loved than I ever dared to hope for <laughs> because this is what Jesus has done for me. Amen. 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who have no sin to become sin for us so that in him we now have the righteousness of God. And now I am deeply loved and totally accepted by God. Don't, don't matter what you think about me, but I know this is how God sees me today. I am, I'm nothing to prove, nothing to lose, nothing to hide. I know I'm highly valued by God and my wife, I think. I'm deeply loved and I'm totally accepted. And I am free to be me. I can come out of hiding and I'm free to fail. I have permission to feel. I can ask for forgiveness. I can admit fault. A revelation of God's free, unmerited grace towards me has given me the courage to face the painful truth about myself. There are still stuff in my life I want to deal with and I constantly will have to deal with before the Lord. But at least my skeletons can come out of the closet because I know where to bring it. And we are no longer, I no longer need to hide my struggles, my addictions, my pains, my doubt, my sin, and I can bring them into the light. And the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ has become the anchor for my soul. Let me finish with this. Please hear me carefully so that you catch the heart of it. The gospel is remedy for those of us who could be struggling with sin. But it is not an excuse to go on sinning. It's a wonderful remedy when we struggle. At least we know who we can go to and where we can find freedom. But it's not an excuse to go on sinning. It's also not a reason to tolerate sin. Because the truth is this, we need to take sin seriously. We need to take sin seriously. And we deal with sin resolutely. We can't say it's okay because, you know, I'm human. You are a spirit being having a very temporary human experience, not the other way around. And we need to deal with it seriously. As disciples of Jesus Christ, if we do not declare war on sin in our lives, 
then we are nullifying the power of the cross. Because on that cross, Jesus has defeated sin and we are no longer under the dominion of sin, brothers and sisters, but you are under the dominion of Christ. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 9 to 11, the Apostle Paul wrote this, Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor adulterers, or idolaters, nor men who have sex with men, or thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, and slanderers, not swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. And this is what some of you were. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified. Notice, past tense, huh? We cannot still be living in all these things and then expect to business as usual. You cannot. You are no longer like that. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. This is past tense. You could come from that background, but you are no longer there. And you no longer need to stay under the dominion of all these things. You can be free in Jesus' name. The cross did not just take care of our past. It also gave us the power to live in the present. The cross took care of the penalty of our sin in the past, all paid in full. But the cross also took care of our, the power we need to live a righteous life in the present. Are you with me? And that's why don't accept as unchangeable things that are contrary to the will of God. Break that stronghold and be free in Jesus' name. We need to take a long, hard look at the truth about my own spiritual health, my emotional well-being, my state of my marriage, and my walk with God, seriously. And then we tear away, <coughs> layer by layer, the veneer of superficial spirituality and religiosity. And then we face up to what we are feeling and what we are going through. But you don't bring it to a place just to lament but you bring it to the cross so that we can apply the power of the gospel upon our brokenness and see ourselves free. But we need to unmask, become real and authentic before God. That will be the start of a fresh breakthrough. You know, we allow the power of the gospel to change our mourning into dancing, our sorrows into joy, our pain into His comfort and brokenness into wholeness. And you know what? Psalms 103 verse 10 and 12 says this, right? He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. But as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His love for those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has He removed our transgression from us. This is the God that we serve. This morning, I encourage you, bring our brokenness, our sins before the cross and let the power of the gospel bring freedom in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand with me, please. Thank you, Lord. You know, we are a family and as a family, we stand with one another when we go through tough times and there are times when we go through struggles and things like that in our lives and we never, we don't have to keep it struggle in our own little corner, but we could have one another to stand with. And this morning, 
I sought in simplicity to share my heart with you, but I pray that as we come to this time, I want to allow you an opportunity to just come and bring your need before the Lord. Whatever it may be, that we bring it to the cross, because it's at the cross that we find our answers. It's at the cross that the power of the gospel can be applied to it. And I want to be free, so do you. And as you go, would you carry this wonderful gospel with you? It's a gospel that enables us to have our records set straight so that all that we have done is scrapped off. You know, it's that which gives us that washing we need so that every stain is removed. And it is that which transforms us and recreates us from the inside out. And may we be grateful to the Lord for that. Yeah. Lord, I thank you this morning for the authenticity once again of King David to pen down his brokenness his confession, and then find freedom in you. Lord, I thank you for what you've done for us on the cross that really remove our stains, set us free, and take us into that place where we know we not only have a penalty of our sins removed in the past, but we now have the power to live righteously before you by your Spirit. And we thank you for this. May you grant every one of us that victory and freedom that is our portion in Christ. Thank you, Lord. So dismiss us this morning with this deep assurance of what you've done for us on that cross. Thank you, Lord. Now may the love of the Father, the peace of His Son, Jesus Christ, and the power of the Holy Spirit go with us. Amen. Amen. Amen.